Hello, and welcome to the Spectator Books podcast. I'm Sam Leith, literary editor of the Spectator, and this week we're with Lady Antonia Fraser. Lady Antonia is, of course, an author, a historian, and a memoirist of great distinction, and she's also the widow of the late Harold Pinter, the playwright. And we're here to talk about her new book, Our Israeli Diary, 1978, which is a description of a two-week trip that Antonia and Harold took to Israel in that year. Antonia, can you start by telling me a little, you know, what was the occasion for this trip? I think the occasion must have been the 30th anniversary of the independence of Israel, which was certainly celebrated while we were there. Harold, of course, had been asked fairly frequently before, but had not gone. And I might have gone with my first husband, Hugh Fraser, who was a pro-Israeli Tory MP. But by chance, neither of us had been. Harold being Jewish, me being Catholic. And so we went on a voyage of discovery together. And you say, you say in the book that Harold, for quite a long time, had sort of resisted going to Israel or had almost been afraid of it. I don't think Harold was afraid of going. That was said by Jonathan Miller and repeated to us when we got there and annoyed Harold very much. I don't blame him, you know. Harold wasn't afraid of very much. Whether he didn't really want to sort of confront it, he did say to me one thing which I quote in the book, that he had sort of flinched from going in case he didn't like it, which I think is slightly different, you know. I mean, he did not want to not like Israel, a land founded in such traumatic and moving circumstances. So I think that it was more complicated. And could you tell me a little to start with about the diary itself? Because you say in the introduction it was sort of just almost tumbled out of a cupboard. I tumbled into the cupboard and it tumbled out with me. I was looking for something else, which I hope wasn't important because I can't remember what it was. And I found this file, cardboard file, saying Our Israeli Diary, 1978. And I hadn't read it since I wrote it. And I started to read it. And of course, it was absolutely fascinating. Lovely for me, because it brought Harold back so vividly. And was it as you remembered it? Because I think in your, your memoir of your time with Harold, that you published a couple of years ago, you mentioned the trip, but you presumably then just reconstructed it from memory. Did you have to go back and say, ooh? When I wrote Must You Go, My Life with Harold Pinter, I used my photograph albums, which have extensive narrative written round the photographs. And the photographs, the happy snaps taken by me, are actually in the book. But I used that and my own memory, which is quite good, something so vivid as that. But I didn't have the diary. So it all came... The detail of it came new to me. Things like Harold's horror of going down from Masada, you know, and the gallantry of Peter Halban helping us. All those sort of things came back to me. Yes, I hadn't known that he had vertigo, actually. It's probably a, possibly something very famous about him I hadn't known. But... No, I don't think it was particularly famous, unless you happen to live with him. <laughs> Um, but also, I, uh, I think that you didn't have to have acute vertigo to have vertigo coming down Masada with very little between you and destruction. And at one point, I thought, if you remember, the Romans eventually captured Masada by building a road up and up and up, and the poor Jews had to watch them. Terrible women and children. Um, and I, I remember thinking... 
we're going to be stuck here. I can't go down without Harold. I'm certainly not going to leave him. We shall be here until they build a road to save us. But luckily, Peter Halban, who'd guided us, worked for an organisation. He was a young man. He saw to it and we got in, managed finally to get into the sort of kind of lift, really. Yes, well, you described going down the inside track, which is where the tourists are supposed to be coming up, yes. sort of throwing them off to left and right. And Peter sort of said, way for us, way for us. <laughs> Can you sketch a little bit about the, you know, your situation with Harold at the time? Because you weren't yet married, were you? I was divorced. Harold had asked to divorce but had not received it. Therefore, although we lived together and had done for three years, we weren't technically married, which followed in two years later. And Israel's situation at the time, sort of how tense was it? I mean, when you travelled there, how aware were you of the, the threat of violence? And I think we have to remember in 1978, the security given to travellers to Israel was something we simply hadn't encountered before. What would seem routine to us now was absolutely extraordinary. I speak as an Anglo-Irish person, you know, was quite used to travelling during the troubles and all of that. I just found it extraordinary, you know, but there were sort of things, I mean, now it's awful to think that we've got used to them, except I think we never do get used to them, but massacre of tourists at airports, all of that, something fresh to us. And like most people who benefit from security, we also found it very irritating. At the same time, there was sort of quite a high society quality to your trip round. I mean, you get Harold being offered scotch at 5pm by Shimon Perez and you constantly bumping into Jackie Kennedy. I mean, this is peculiar. I'd like, <laughs> I'd like to make the point that Mrs Perez offered Harold a scotch at 5pm and he only accepted it at 530 <laughs> I'm sorry, I put that on the record. <laughs> well, I knew Jackie Kennedy, actually. You know, I didn't expect to see her in Israel and that really wasn't why I went to Israel. And in fact, when we did meet, she was as ever, she was the most charming person and that wonderful wow, woo sort of voice. But it was exciting being there at the same time as her because there were endless pictures of her and asking questions, which I thought rather sensible, like to the mayor, Teddy Colic, wonderful mayor. She asked questions like, is that a Jew? Is that an Arab? And people sort of were amazed by that, but I thought it was quite a sensible question. <laughs> Can you want to talk a bit about, you know, how important Harold's Jewishness was to him? That's an impossible question to answer. Harold was a thousand percent Jewish. He grew up, you know, in the East End, part of a Jewish world. All his relations were Jewish. Not all his school friends were Jewish, but his three major friends, the Hackney Gang, they were Jewish. Something he took for granted. He used to say, when told he was a Jewish playwright, he would say, Arnold Wesker is a Jewish playwright. I am a playwright who is Jewish. On the other hand, would he have been the same person if he wasn't Jewish? No, but of course not. I think this is probably one of the few sort of documented moments when he naturally talked about it, because he talked to me about it. Normally, I mean, there are at least one Jewish character in his play, Goldberg in The Birthday Party, but he's sort of Harold's take on a typical Jew or not, you know, like all Harold's characters. Ultimately, I think that's one of Harold's mysteries. Certainly going to Israel was tremendously important to him, and I quote him as saying, I feel I am Jewish, 
now I know it. And, you know, that was just a sort of remark, like all Harold's remarks, quite sort of casual. But the fact that he should feel it and say so was very interesting. But am I right to think you neither of you ever went back? We didn't deliberately not go back, but we didn't go back. We thought we'd probably go back. I would have been happy to go back, and I'm sure he would. But it was, you know, it was a wonderful experience, and we were honoured and delighted. We stayed at this wonderful place called Mishkanot Shananim, which is a sort of row of little houses looking out. And would you believe it, in the next-door room to ours, I heard unmistakable sounds, and it was Rostopovich, the great man, practising for a concert. And when I sort of struggled awake, I thought I was at home where I listened to Radio 3, you know, mistily. And in fact, he was practising. And in the evening, we went to the concert, and he didn't play what he was practising. And it was the third encore. (laughs) (laughs) So it was that kind of place. We were so privileged. You do mention this remark Jonathan Miller made, that, you know, he thought that going to Israel might kind of affect Harold's practice as a playwright. Yeah. But there are a couple of sort of wonderfully Pinterish moments in your description. I mean, one where there's a chap with a machine gun sitting on the roof, yes. sort of surveying the passing crowd. And you say, what do you think he's looking for? And Harold says, a familiar face. Yes, that's absolutely Harold. <laughs> I mean, he was like that. You know, it was just a remark. Only Harold would have seen it like that. I think selfishly, I just thought, hope he's not looking for me. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it it had any effect? I mean, the time there, the experience of going back, had any effect on his practice at all? I find it impossible to say. It must have had an effect, you know, such a strong experience. Apart from anything, which I hope I've conveyed a little, the visual effect of going to Israel, which you've been there, know. I mean, when you go, when you see... You see things like Jerusalem, I and mean, we all know about the divisions in Jerusalem, but to actually see them. I resisted going to Bethlehem. I thought, I don't need that. You know, there'll be things called Manger Square. But actually, when I went there, it was extraordinarily strong. That's, of course, me as a Catholic. <laughs> what I do describe is my disappointment when Harold failed to have a sort of atavistic thrill or shudder at the Wailing War. Um, We passed it without noticing it. And I was furious because I was hoping to record that he'd suddenly go, this is terrible. Oh, it's the Wailing War. I'm afraid that didn't happen. (laughs) Yes, you talk about being on the lookout for twinges everywhere you went. That visual thing, I'm interested in the book that sort of goes through it. You're constantly reminded of Scotland in an odd way. I don't know, is that because that's your reference point for home? or I lived in Scotland with my first husband. We had a house for 18 years in holidays, but all the holidays. It was very small, a lodge, but on an island in the middle of the Bewley River. And inevitably things reminded me, you know, it's where my children grew up. I, too, going through the diary, noticed that I constantly refer to it. But then, of course, I'd only left it sort of... In fact, I didn't leave it completely. I I used to go back and I retained great affection for it. But I think it was a sort of natural point of reference. There's also this point of reference for Harold. I mean, it's a lovely, bizarrely 
kind of coincidental story where you just sort of drop in unexpectedly on the kibbutz where his cousin, formerly, I think, Moritoba of Hackney, had reinvented himself and was living you know, un- under a sort of new it, Hebrew it, name. It, it was absolutely true, but what happened, I had a sort of a skin allergy from a plant before I arrived in Israel. And then, you know, what is Israel about if not doctors? And a wonderful doctor came and was tremendously helpful. And he then said to Harold, did you know that your cousin, Moritoba, you know, was on such and such a kibbutz? And Harold didn't know that, of course, he remembered him very well. And then the chance was, I suddenly saw, when we were travelling, I suddenly saw the name of the kibbutz, and we just went and asked for him, and finally we caught up with him, and there's a picture of them together. And he looks, he was Harold's father's cousin, he looks actually quite like Harold's father. Was Harold then as political as he became? I mean, in the book, there's a there's a sort of sense in which you're all kind of very conscious that Begin is the prime minister and that, you know, he's a, sort of, as you were saying, a bad thing, and that at the same time Arafat was a sort of murderous terrorist. Yes. I mean, frankly, I think we got both things right. <laughs> both things can be true. Begin had only just come in. I don't think we were quite so conscious of Begin as we became in Israel because, for instance, Moritoba said something like, I'm sorry you came for the first time when we have a fascist, you know, etc., that kind of thing. I think we became more aware. But the person we actually sat down and were delighted to talk to was Shimon Perez and met again in London when he came to London and, and was the most interesting man and sort of friend of my great friend, George Weidenfeld, who gave us the introduction. There, you know, we met someone of great interest and felt that we'd formed a kind of friendship. Yes, I was wondering how much George was in the background to this this trip. I mean, was he involved in encouraging you to go? Or George played no part in encouraging us to go. It must have been an invitation to do with the 30th celebrations, and it would have been to Harold. But once we were going, George certainly gave us most of the most interesting introductions. I mean, by that time, he'd got to know Harold. We'd been together for three years. George being one of my my oldest adult friend, I worked for him for three years, and one of my closest friends. And he knew exactly what we would like. Of course, he introduced us to Teddy Collick, who we'd probably have met anyway. And several of the people were introduced by George. Others came, I think, from the world of the theatre, Hannah Maron, a wonderful actress who was injured, badly injured, I think, lost a leg at an incident at an airport in, in Europe, you know, a terrorist incident. Munich, inc- wasn't it? Yes, M- Munich, in a terrorist incident. There was a lovely sense in it as well that you've, you know, you say at one point, if we'd been in London, we'd all have been sitting around discussing Bernard Levin's horrible theatre reviews, and instead there were all these intelligent people speaking about vital matters. Was that a sort of... Is there a sense of escaping from a bubble in some way? That was absolutely true. I mean, every profession has its weakness, and most of our really closest friends were playwrights, you know, and Ronnie Howard, Tom Stoppard, Simon Gray, to name three. Temptation, well, first of all, you must sympathise if your friend's being rubbished, and then they must sympathise with you. It was just wonderful to talk about 
all the time about interesting things. There's something I did just want to ask about was there's a thing on the very first page of this diary where you say my first husband, you know, uh, who was a pro-Israel Tory MP, I mean, that seems to imply the diary was being written with a view to being published at a later point because, you know, you yourself obviously knew who your first husband was. You're very acute. I didn't put in anything, as it were, interesting, only at the request of the publisher, and they were quite right. I tell you, I put in the words, Simon, I put in grey after Tom, I put in Stoppard. Um, obviously, in my diary, I didn't write Simon Grey. I wrote Simon and Tom, you know, and Ronnie about Ronnie Harwood, when I say he's the charm and energy of South African Jew. But I think the publisher were right, actually. And this is the very first page. It's really part of the sort of information. I wanted to get in the fact that I had got this connection to Israel, um, although it was a slightly odd one. Of course, no, I was just curious because, you know, one never knows when you see that. Is that Was that you were thinking of publishing it one day or no, you know, it was just never, it was I mean, all post hoc? I mean, that, truthfully, if you were to see the manuscript, which you're welcome, you would just find the only... I think I explained with some names who Benji was, actually my son, you know, where yeah. I'm buying a sort of caftan. I, I explained because I didn't want to hold up the reader so I think I put no, it... I suppose so. if you'd put scholarly footnotes in, it would have been no, a bit no, I, over the top. That yeah. I absolutely ruled out. I mean, it's only 20,000 words. It's supposed to be, a, as it was written, it's supposed to be a sort of light read. Yeah, this is a very personal document. Did you, I mean, are any of the things in it you thought, oh, that's too personal, or was there anything you, you lifted out? Not about us at all. You know that saying, a gentleman is never rude by mistake. It's, and I think that goes for this lady too. I didn't want to cause offence unintentionally. You know, it wasn't supposed to be that, that kind of book. So I did look at it carefully, and I, I don't think I took anything out. I may have explained at the request of a friend of mine why I made a reference to Golders Green. Will I say that the uh, supermarket in... Jerusalem was push, push, shove, shove, which it certainly was. And it reminded me of Golders Green. Now, it's rather interesting. That could look offensive to Golders Green, whereas when I put in, when I knew it, when we lived near it after the war, which we did, we lived in Hampstead Garden Suburb, where you go shopping in Golders Green, then it's perfectly all right, as well as being true. <laughs> and do you still keep a diary in the way that you did then? Is that still a habit you've got? When I was right, I kept it right up until a few months after Harold died. I, early in 2009, I was still keeping it. And that was when I was writing Must You Go, which is really heavily based on my diary of our 33 years together. And suddenly it was too self-referential. It's a diary about a woman writing a diary. And I stopped and now... I keep diaries probably of holidays and if there's a great event in my life when my youngest son became a QC and you know you sit in Westminster Hall I described all of that in detail. And do you think you might publish as it were straight others of your diaries? I mean are you tempted now? <laughs> I think I, I would be very against 
publishing a book which is all I know about everything that I haven't said before. You know, I, I like a book to have a narrative. My next memoir, My History, a memoir of growing up, is absolutely angled towards showing how my passion for history came early and inspired me. And it's as Must You Go was about my life with Harold Pinter. I like, I mean, by training, I like the book to have a theme and a narrative. I can't just wander. I'm not a good wanderer. Antonio Fraser, thank you very much indeed. Thank you, Sam. If you enjoyed that, please do subscribe to our iTunes channel to get a new Spectator Literary podcast every Monday. <laughs>